and welcome to Black, White, but mostly gray, because life is not always neat and tidy. We live our lives in a million shades of gray, where the lines between right and wrong are blurred by our individual values and experiences. Not every situation is good or bad. Not everything is right or wrong. There are many gray areas in life, and that's what we want to explore. So open your minds and join us. everyone. Welcome to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Today, we continue to explore coming to America, part two, and some of the challenges that our new citizens and neighbors face when they pursue the American dream. Yeah, we're so glad that Erica and Jeffrey will join us again as we focus on immigration from an immigrant's point of view. But before we do, Aliki, I'd like to share a story of technology and spirituality, concern and anxiety, all wrapped up in a great deal of relief and thankfulness. Do you got a minute? Sure thing. Oh my God, I'm intrigued. What happened? First of all, I've got more you know, artificial parts than share, but most of them are internal, so you don't see them. Because I, you know, I've got uh, two artificial knees. I just got a new hip two weeks ago. And now uh, uh, about a year ago, I got an internal defibrillator. So bad knees, bad hip, bad heart. Other than that, you know, I'm I'm good as new. But uh, yesterday, my lovely wife Mary and I were on our way to church. I was actually in the kitchen waiting for her to get ready, and all of a sudden, I heard this. T- it, it was like an amber alert, but shorter, huh. like about an eight second amber alert. Huh. And Mar- Mary comes in. I'm like, and she goes, "What's that?" I said, "I think it's an amber alert." And I Go look at my phone. There's nothing on my phone. Then it goes off again. And she says, I think that's coming from your defibrillator. What? Yeah. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think that thing even makes a noise, does it? And I said, well, let's get going. So mm-hmm. we get we get in the car. We, we go maybe about two blocks. It goes off again. And I'm like, Mary, pull over. I put my phone in the back seat. I said, okay, here, try to figure out where that's coming from. She said, it's coming from your defibrillator. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable, huh? Yeah, you know, so I'm thinking, is this, did they give you like three warning beeps and then, you know, and then you have the big one or what? <laughs> I said, we got to get, we got to get back home. So we got back home and, you know, I, I called the doctor's office and of course it's the weekend. And so I'm getting shifted around all of these folks at work on weekends. But anyway... Got a very nice nurse. She got us in touch with a doctor. She comes back and, you know, she's giving me the the drill. Are are you feeling dizzy? Are you faint? And and I said, no, no, all my vitals are great. And and she said, uh, well, the doctor wants to know, are you near a phone or a magnet? I said, well, you know, I've had this thing for a year. And yes, I've got a phone, but my phone is nowhere near that. And she says, well, all right, you're going to have to go into the emergency room to figure out how to reset because it seems like it's an external problem. There's, and I'm like, yeah, all right. So we're going to go to the emergency room and I go into uh freshen up in the bathroom and I look in the mirror and staring right back at me is my name tag that I had just put on for church. It's got one of those magnetic backs. Oh, so yeah. And, yeah. So I took it off and said, Mary, I think I've discovered the problem. 
Oh my God, Dana. Yeah, but the challenges of getting old are getting even more challenging with technology these days. But like I said, it was a story of uh, ended in a great deal of relief and thankfulness. But yeah, so I might use that for party tricks. You know, if I'm, you know, at a cocktail party, things are kind of, <laughs> hey, you want to hear my uh, heart beep? Oh my God, that that for five bucks, I'll make my heart beep for you, and I'll just put a little 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 uh, magnet next to it. That sound that comes from the amber lights is very unsettling, to say the least. And for it to be coming from inside of you, that I, I would, I would have been just like going out of my freaking mind. Yeah, for but, about the first ten minutes, I was freaked out. But so did it only go off like three times, or like? Oh it no, no, it, it it was probably about a total of an hour and forty five minutes that this whole thing transpired, and it probably went off about a dozen times. And how were you feeling like, because, you know, like they said, different, uh, different sounds, you know, different sounds bring different frequencies and that affects us. So were you like all kind of like, what was your energy like after this whole? Well, I, you know, I, I was a little concerned at first, but, you know, I was watching my vitals, you know, I watched uh -huh. my Fitbit, you know, and I, yeah, uh, I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't like my heart rate was spiking or anything. Okay. So that was um, good. Yeah, so I kind of went from concern to a little frustration to a little bit of embarrassment when I figured out it was me that was the problem. Aww. But just but just a little bit. Hey, it's time for us to open the hood though and and peek into the serendipitous psych of America's favorite Ugandan immigrant. Aliki, can you enrich us with your wisdom and knowledge? Surreptitious. I like that word. Do you like that one? I've I've been looking up new adjectives. I like that a lot. I'm learning. I'm learning. Okay, of course, of course. You're looking for a little intellectual stimulation? Well, you came to the right place. Let's see if I can reshape your worldview. Let's do it. You're sounding more and more like a diva every day. Aliki, just say it. Okay, your first post is from a guy named Michael Ford. Can you read it for us, please? Yes. Michael Ford is a, is a friend of mine that I met through Studuzo. You remember Studuzo? Yes. Yes. Doing so, very well. Yeah. So, you know, he's a married guy. And I found it interesting that he posted this and it said, I find marriage to be the one institution people of great ignorance and fantasy love to dive into just to ruin each other's lives. I could not agree more. You know, I, I think you're half right. I mean, according to the National Survey of Family Growth, you know, it's commonly said that half of all first marriages end in divorce. Probability of a first marriage ending in divorce within the first 10 years is one in three. So there's a lot of people out there ruining each other's lives. When you look at the numbers, one in three, I guess, wow, that is a That's lot. just in the first 10 years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised even last 10 years is big, especially today. I think, you know, back in the day, maybe like going from the baby boomer generation and older generations, they lasted a lot longer. And I heard somewhere because uh, that was because in most uh, countries and cultures, divorce was not an option. Now that divorce is an option, that number just continues to climb. Divorces did dip during the pandemic. So, I mean, it looks like uh, folks were more willing to stick around during the uncertain times of the pandemic. But then back in 2022, it, it shot back up to 14 and a half per uh, 1,000 married women. So, which is, you know, near the high. 50-year low was in 2021, but that was during the pandemic. Well, they do say that during uh, hard times, uh, marriages tend to 
last. Uh, people tend to stay together because yeah, they need each other, right? It makes sense. You know, until you can find some grass that looks greener, you're, you're willing to stay where you're at. But it's also weird to me because I do know. Now, so these were not marriages, but a lot of my friends who were uh, coupled up or who are dating, a lot of them, like a lot of uh, relationships ended during uh, the lockdown because a lot of people found out they didn't really like each other. <laughs> yeah, but where, where do you go? You know, where uh, do you go if you're in the midst of a pandemic? I know. But so that's where I, the, the importance of actually liking each other. I mean, a lot of people, you know, say, oh, they think love is what's needed. But like living with somebody and actually liking that person, I think is more important because like they say, during the pandemic, the reason a lot of relationships ended was just because they were cooped up. You realize the more time you spend with this person, you realize how much you actually don't like them as a person. So why stick around? Some well, let me just- tell let me tell you why you should stick around. I'm very fortunate. I met a very you know lovely soulmate. We've been together forever. Um, there is a saint, Dano. Yeah. Well, saint. yes, and many people think I'm a saint for putting up with her. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> You are a lucky man, Dano. I'm going to tell you some reasons and some benefits for for being married. We we said, you know, you got about a 50-50 chance. But if 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 you're one uh-huh. of the lucky 50%, as a woman, you're 20% less likely to die from heart disease, suicide and cirrhosis of the liver than a single woman. Now that cirrhosis of the liver, I can understand those single women are out there, you know, tipping it up. Yeah, I shouldn't right. say well, I shouldn't base that just on the single women I know. And married women have even more benefits. And this is according to a a study from Michigan State University. Really? Yeah. So you know it's got to be somewhat true. I I Um, would like to see that. I would like to see the the data because according to some of the information I've seen, which I'm going to bring, it says single women or unmarried women, one, are happier, and two, they live longer. Well, maybe, but they're uh, more likely to be victim of uh, domestic violence, sexual assault, and other violent crimes. I can see that. So, that's I mean, there's good things. Mm-hmm. We Maybe we'll talk about this in an episode. Yeah, we should. Yes, I, right? tend to, I, tend to like, I tend to like bringing up the cons a lot, but it, I think it'll be a good episode because you'll bring your married uh, point perspective. of view. Yes. Perspective. Okay, mm-hmm. let's move on to your second post. You want to read this one to us, Aliki? Yes. It says, the most loving people know their shadow well. That is how they're able to love you in your darker seasons and not just shower you with false light. It's true. If you live long enough, and, you know, I'm on my fourth decade, so I think I can use that line. (laughs) You are inevitably going to go through, you know, some sometimes in the valley. You know, life is about peaks and valleys, right? Sometimes when you're in the valley. The people that can really help you come out of that are people who've been there themselves. In the valley is where we face our, you know, our shadow. That's where we f- we face our darker sides of life. The people who can really, really help us come out are those who've been through it because they know they know what to do to get out. Basically, that's the gist of it. The psychologist Carl Jung, who I was introduced to as a, you know, college psychology minor. I wanted to get that out there because you, you, know, <laughs> you, you told everybody about how you were a social writer. Yeah. Uh-huh. But anyway, he described shadow as a hidden dark side of the human psyche 
And he believed it to be a counterweight to the persona or the self that people present to others. So it's our it's our hidden self and it's a side that we don't present to others. And I've seen some pretty cool drawings of his depiction of this with the, you know, the side that you show everybody in the sh- the side that stays in the shadow. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big I'm a big fan of Carl Jung. I'm I mean I I watch some of I watch a lot of documentaries on him or whatever because I I am very intrigued by psychology uh, because I think the most fascinating <laughs> creature on this earth is actually the human being. So I like to kind of peek into our little psyches through these you know through these psychologists and he's one that's very famous. And he kind of goes deep into uh, things, uh, the, the different archetypes, you know, he goes into, you know, the human psyche. Um, if you're into things like astrology and stuff, you're going to come up uh, across, you know, the Carl Jung's because they studied a, a lot, all of these different sciences. And I'm putting that in quotes because some people don't think astrology is a science. But yes, so this is very interesting. Um we could I talk about astrology stuff. someday too, because some people think that that may be a tool of the devil. Yes, thing. that 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 is that is what is written. I think in a lot of the Abrahamic or the the believers of the Abrahamic religions mm-hmm. think. But I think okay, going back to the dark side, the shadow. Th- there are a lot of hidden gems in the shadow, and one has to go in there from time to time, or at least once in li- in their life to see what really resides in the shadow, I think is very important to understand yourself on both sides. I, I don't know, Aliki. I think if you go too deep into your shadow, you may never come out. Well, it depends. It depends on... Um, I was just talking point. about you specifically. Me? Yes. Say <laughs> so you forget I'm a Gemini. I walk in two worlds at the same time. At all times. That's exactly what a Gemini is. That's why people can't, Pin us down. All right. Yeah. Your final post, because we've got to move on. It has some good advice for all of us. Can you read it? Yes. You don't need to be perfect to inspire others. Let people get inspired by how you deal with your imperfection. And Deno, this is bringing us back to the shadow. <laughs> Those are imperfections. I think embracing imperfections can help people learn and grow. You know, it can help people recognize and appreciate their unique quality. You think of some people that overcame, you know, their quote unquote imperfection. You know, the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is, you know, Helen Keller. You know, she was deaf. She was blind, certainly imperfect, but went on to become a very prominent author and activist, you know, inspiring millions. There's a lot of stories like that out there. Isn't that the the hero's journey type type of thing in a lot of stories and a lot of good stories they have that side that everyone has to overcome. I think a lot of people we look at as heroes and people who've gone to become the kinds that we revere and try to emulate the people who have faced their shadows and their imperfections and come out of the other side. If you look at people like uh, scientists like Einstein, even the guy uh, Nikola Tesla, do you ever read about him? No. Oh, the Tesla guy. Yeah. No, tell me about it. Those guys were strange guys. If you just reading about them sometimes, I mean, you know, Tesla was like very kind of antisocial too, in a way, like he didn't really want to be touched. You know, he was just this kind of intriguing character that not too many people knew about, spent a lot of his time in his labs doing experiments. 
And apparently there's a tower that he built in upstate New York that, you know, he believed that before anyone, you know, was even talking about Wi-Fi, this guy was already talking about it. And he believed that, you know, would be able to connect from the United States to people in the UK wirelessly and things like that. That was that was back in the day and nobody believed him. They thought he was talking nonsense. But here we are. Well, Vincent van Gogh, very misunderstood, considered crazy by some. Howard Hughes, you know, who yeah. we still talk about today. I mean, he he ended his life having specially made Baskin Robbins ice cream made for him and hung out in a bunker someplace. So certainly a lot of people with imperfections that went on to make uh, make their mark in the world. And I say, bring it on. I mean, it is the age of Aquarius. You're going to see a lot of weirdos coming out. Well, Aliki, you did it again. Thanks for filling our minds with some good stuff. We're going to take a short break. Then we'll come back with Erica and Jeffrey to conclude our chat about coming to America. Stay with us. Hi, my name is David Murray, and I am creator and owner of Think Free Threads and Things, a Black-owned online apparel company. Our apparel is fun, simple, and think-free, with messages that encourage us to think freely, independently, creatively, intelligently, and wisely. We are excited to be the exclusive provider of Black, White, but Mostly Great apparel. You can check it out along with everything else we offer on our website, thinkfreethreadsandthings.com. That's thinkfreethreadsandthings.com. You can also find more info and a link to our website on the Grapevine page of butmostlygray.com. If we think free, we will move closer to achieving a more fair and equitable society for all people. Welcome back to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Here I am in a group of four people, three of my favorite people in the whole world, and I'm the only one that was born in America. You all came to America. I was already here. I want to take the next few minutes and look at immigration from an immigrant's point of view. How does that sound? You guys up for that? Yeah, sounds good. thing. All right. Jeffrey, I'll start with you. What are some misconceptions or stereotypes about immigrants that you've personally encountered and how do they impact your daily life and your family life? One narrative I encounter most of the time is uh, that immigrants are, are takers and not contributors. And uh, you see a lot of the common uh, debate that's out there, you know, strain on resources and things like that, which we've touched on. But, you know, you don't hear as much being talked about as folks who came to this country and contributed significantly, especially folks that we know, you know, the Teslas and Elon Musk's and uh, 
Carnegie's and all those guys that uh, Sergey Brin created, you know, founder, co-founder of Google. Companies that have hired thousands of people. So take all those people and how much taxes they're paying and, and working in places that were created by immigrants. And there are numerous examples. Those are just the ones that we can easily see. There's so many mom and pop hotels, restaurants that hire people and hire locals. Like we stated, immigrants take risk when you come from a place that, you know, you, you, you're starting from zero and uh, you've crossed so many either miles of oceans or so many miles on land to get here. You have a certain drive that, that pushes you to the next level, maybe than somebody who was born here that may not appreciate that opportunity as much. So uh, I think that narrative of takers versus contributors is one that I encounter. And I think we do need to look at the contributors side of it uh, as much. That, or, that's uh, a, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I may add is that, you know, immigrants for whatever reason are not skilled or are not very good with English. I encountered this the first time I, in my university and I was an English tutor and I'm tutoring an American student and spent the first session trying to quiz me how, uh, how qualified I was to tutor him English. <laughs> so, you were like, like, how I dare speak, you? I yeah, speak, I, speak, English. I speak better English than you. I'm qualified in this tutoring center to tutor you. <laughs> well, well, when you were a leaky, you speak that King's English stuff. That it is different. Oh, there we go. And our vocabulary yeah. was, is way more advanced. So, uh, so anyway, things like that you encounter, but uh, you take that moment to walk that person through, j just help them overcome that and realize just because you associate immigrants from everybody is maybe Spanish speaking or from, from Mexico, people are coming from all different places. And uh, some of the people in your government, just because they have, they may not have a dark skin or a brown skin, but they also come in. Some come from European countries. Mm -hmm. Some come from the so from a Soviet Union, you know. And and guess what? They may blend in in skin color, but they may be uh, immigrants. But you might give me more of a hard time because I stick out mm -hmm. yeah. of my accent or skin color. But there are so many other immigrants amongst you. Somebody, I, I bet you no one gives Elon Musk a hard time telling him, you immigrant, go back. Well, Good maybe some fight. But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Aliki, you came over at a different time, about 15, 20 years ago. How do you think the discourse on immigration has changed since you came into the United States? And I, I, I realize you were, a, you were a teenager when you came here, but you've seen it evolve. What, what do you think about the, the way... Americans are viewing and talking about immigration since you got here? Well, I don't know if it has changed that much. Uh, I think back when, you know, I came here when I was 14 years old, um, didn't pay attention too much to any of that stuff. But now what I'm seeing is, you know, there's just a lot more pushback uh, due to the changing faces of the immigrants. You know, there are a lot of people who are darker skinned that are coming through. You got a lot of Indians and uh, generally Asian uh, immigrants that are coming in. And also there are a lot of people who are coming in who don't speak English. From what I read, uh, going back all the way back in, you know, to the 1800s, it's nothing new. Uh, because whenever we've had big waves of immigrants coming in, uh, there's always been pushback. 
And so I think we're just, it's a cyclical thing. We find ourselves here at this juncture, kind of uh, dealing with a big, another big wave of immigrants coming in because of how the economy has changed. You know, we're now more of a skill-based, we're looking at, you know, skill-based immigrants that are coming in. So, you know, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, companies are bringing people who are very skilled from, you know, countries like India, you know, and, uh, and China. Of course, that's going to elicit some negative discourse, uh, but it's nothing new. The Italians went through it when they came in. The Irish went. The, the Irish went through, through it. Thank you very yeah, much. Exactly. The Irish. That. Yes. Every group, every wave of immigrants that have come, they have always encountered some degree of pushback. So it's nothing new. Erica, you grew up in a small town, and you live in a community that has a significant Hmong population. How would you describe the community norms regarding immigrants and persons of color? And do you think it's typical of, say, you know, Midwest America? Well, you know, the Hmong people are, in at least in my community, tend to stick to themselves. Um, they have very, really strong family bonds, um, generally speaking, High achievers. Um, I've there she goes stories. bragging on her Asians. Again. I've heard. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> saying. Generally, um, you know, they they keep their heads down. They stay out of trouble. They're very um, homogenous. Uh, they stick to themselves, and you know, they're they're seen as outsiders. Though I think to a lot of small town America, you know, you see you, you hear stories, you know, and you, you would hope that these are few and far between. Um, in general, though, I think that a lot of people in these smaller towns are curious. You know, they see somebody who looks different, who dresses different, who has different food than them. There's always been curiosity, but um, I think a lot of things that um, have happened in the community and help support the sharing of culture has really um sort of bridged gaps, you know, whether it be food or, you know, amazing cultural dancing or, you know, um, ethnic costumes or, you know, outfits. Um, after a while, everybody who's in America, I would say, ends up at a baseball game eating a hot dog, you know, they're um, American, quote unquote. Um, and maybe they come to see themselves as some kind of a hyphenated American, Korean American, you know, Irish American. Irish American, you know, to hold on to to where they're to not to not assimilate completely, but to say, yes, I can be both. Why can't we be both? You know, one of the concepts that's kind of gained acceptance in in recent years is the concept of becoming an ally. You guys are all foreign born immigrants who came to the United States. You know, what are some of the challenges associated with assimilation into American society and how can a, a a caring ally? What what are some things that we could do to help address the challenges? Leaky, you want to lead it off? As I mentioned before, I I was quite fortunate that I had when I came in, I already had a family here, a white family from Hales Corners, you know, New Berlin, Wisconsin. <laughs> so you know, I I had and I as had, we had, and, and as we had talked about in a prior episode, that family actually probably saved your dad's life and got him out of Uganda right, exactly. right in the nick of time. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I was very fortunate in that regard. And my family has been re uh, very fortunate. 
But yes, there are a lot of new immigrants that come here and they don't really know where to start. One thing that we could do to really help new immigrants is be resources to them. I have uh, a couple of uh, recent immigrants in my team at work that I manage. And one of the things I try to do is, you know, kind of help them see where the resources in the community are. You know, for instance, you know, those who want to go back to school. So Erica... Tell us yeah. what you remember about coming to America and some of the challenges you faced and maybe some of some of the things that an ally could have helped grease the skids a little bit, make, make your landing a little more soft. So when I came to America... How old were you? I was like seven months old. So I don't remember much. Um, well, I guess... what do you remember? <laughs> what would you remember? You're seven <laughs> months old. Uh, I do remember that. I don't nobody, remember much. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Nobody told my parents that I was lactose intolerant and it was a real rough, rough ah, couple days. So um, I do. One thing I am glad that my parents did is they gave me an, um, an American sounding name. And I think that helped me to assimilate to some degree. I'm glad that I have a uh, a normal quote unquote name and didn't stand out just because of a name. Yeah, I was going to say as an Im- immigrant, yeah, that is actually one of the hardest things I, I, for me personally that I faced at the assimilation process because um, I came in and, uh, you know, lived in the hood. Now, coming from where I lived and I lived in refugee camps and then, you know, a little bit outside of them before I came here. So I did not know what it, what it meant to live in the hood, right? And the kind of challenges. And I actually thought all the Black people I went to high school with were Africans that had just immigrated here like myself. You know, <laughs> I, I remember my first week, I was like, I was like bewildered when I saw they're looking at me all strange and they're like, oh, the African girl. I'm like, aren't you African too? But then, you know, I, I realized that I didn't quite fit in even within the Black community because, you know, I'm I'm, I'm an African, but not like a city dweller because I lived in the deserts of Sudan before that. And then after that, I was in the jungles of the Congo. So my mm. my idea of city was very non-existent. And I was constantly reminded that I was the other type of black. And I remember, you know, you know, people making fun of, you know, me being so dark and the accent problem, just not fitting in at all. You know, funny enough, I found my little community in high school with the other immigrants who were from Southeast Asia, especially mm-hmm. the Hmong and the Vietnamese. I realized that we actually come from similar cultural backgrounds. And then our fates clearly kind of were intertwined, you know, as English as a second language um, uh, students. So that's where I kind of started fitting in a, a, a little bit. You know, we established our international club, you know, because before that it was just the Black Student Union and you had the Hispanic club. So the rest of us were sitting there like, okay, where do we fit in? So we all kind of, you know, banded together and that helped the process. But I was constantly reminded that I was the other kind of Black. And I was told specifically by this specific girl that my kind of Black is not considered beautiful here. So I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, seems, not- seems like, yeah, it seems like she was uh, charting out her territory there. It's like, she you, might definitely be, you might be beautiful back home, but you ain't, yeah. you, you ain't, mm-hmm. you ain't beautiful mm-hmm. here. Hey, I Jeffrey, her- mm-hmm. Jeffrey, your, 
I, I was actually part of your uh, entry into America, and I, I'll, I'll share a quick story, and then I'd like to hear some of your uh, observations on coming here. So, so Jeffrey uh, flew into Chicago, uh, where he met my boss at the time, John Noel, and uh, spent the night. But then they had something going, and so John said, "Would would you mind?" Uh, looking after Jeffrey for about a week because there was like a week between uh, schools. Start. And I said, yeah, happens we go up north that week, we'll take him along. So I told uh, my son Jeremiah and his best friend Nick, both oh, of whom were roommates of Aliki at one time. Yeah. And they were, mm. they were not happy, you know, because it's like, what are you doing? You bring some outsider along to this very sacred summer vacation. And it's like, yeah, all right. Well, he shows up and uh, he hits it off right away with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's like, let's go downstairs and watch a movie. There's this movie I want to watch with you. And so he takes him downstairs. And of course, what do they watch? Coming to Coming America. America. Yes. <laughs> which, oh, my God. Yeah, which, which was really the uh, uh, influences for coming up with the topic for this show. So what, what was it like, that whirlwind of hitting, hitting the ground in Chicago and experiencing America like all in a whirlwind. Man, funny you bring up that, uh, I remember like 50% of the jokes in coming to America went over my head. Yes. You know, the, the tape played so fast. I mean, there was just uh, a shocking experience one to another. Um, and I, I can recall right, right after landing, just the experience itself. I had read a book about the United States, uh, checked Wisconsin, and you know, there's winter. So Erica mentioned the jacket that I had. So, <laughs> a windbreaker. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I was I was very prepared, by the way. I had a, a vest on. Uh, some people call them, I don't know why they call them, uh, what do you call them, wife beaters, whatever. I had a vest on, a t-shirt, <laughs> <Wife beater. laughs> a long corduroy shirt, and then the so-called winter jacket that I had. And I'm ready for winter. I land in Chicago. It's August 10th, and it's 99 degrees. John and Patty, as soon as they pick me up, they just start peeling layers off my. <laughs> I'm dressed for the wrong season, right? Oh. I mean, so, but for me, it was a it was it was a shocker. Like some things that were, especially in the area that we landed in, there was a self serve corn, um, a cart with corn. You just pick up the corn, put the money there, and you take off. Nobody was what you know managing that, and I was like, this is crazy. This will never work from where I live that <laughs> just put the money there on an honor basis, pick the con that you want and you walk off. So that was a chain. Then I'm sitting in the John's cottage and the neighbor comes into the doorway in the kitchen and opens the window from, from the outside. And I'm thinking we're getting invaded because there's no fence by that. There are no fences there. And I'm like, how does a neighbor just walk into your, to, you know, to your house like that? So there was that aspect, you know, just small cultural shifts, things to do with with uh, food. Uh, but I think I was lucky that I had uh, people who were ready to receive me, like walk with me the journey of that cultural shop. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you know, I'm like, why do they serve potatoes that are unpeeled, you know? <laughs> Like, this is crazy. We, I know, right? We yeah. peel the potatoes. They're like, oh, it's a baked potato. That's how they prepare it, you know? Things like that, they're just small, but having somebody you can answer what to order and things like that, you know? 
I remember oh. Erica making fun of me cleaning my chicken bones from oh my, my gosh. You know, like eating all <laughs> everything off the I've bones. never seen anybody handle a chicken wing <laughs> like that. Amazing. Yeah. But uh, all that is to say is it, it's a uh, there are a lot of uh, good things. There are shock things that are neither bad or or, or or good. They're just life, just life unfolding in a place that you've never been. And it's great to have a system that receives you. Um, you had the red carpet, red carpet welcome, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, can you yeah, imagine yeah, coming and lucky. nobody was walking with you? You're figuring it out on your own. I might add one more thing, kind of what Aliki alluded to, which is when I landed in Stevens Point, I just associated anybody. Once I saw somebody with the, uh, who's black, I just thought like it was an instant connection right there. Mm-hmm. And that was that was not the case, you know. In some ways, I just felt like I even created uh, like my more white friends quicker than with the black friends, you know, with the with the uh, the black folks here. So that was a shocker to me, you know. So, uh, but it also helped that we had some the international student office on campus that had people from all different places. That's how I met all the students, but also in the Campus Color program, you know, Aliki, and then we had other people who were working from Africa, like Bo, who were working in our office. But Oh my God, but, yes. Yeah, so that helps to have people who have a similar experience. Exactly. Uh, not just based on your skin color, it's uh, a person who's the from outside. That yes. is a skin color would understand my experience more than somebody who's lived here with the same skin color. Yeah. Remember when, I mean, cause the food, I don't know how long it took you, Jeffrey, like my taste buds were so sharp. Like I couldn't, I think the first American food I ate that where I actually, I was like, oh, actually I can taste something was pizza from Pizza Hut. Before that, like the, the burgers, all of that stuff. I just like my taste buds, just, I couldn't taste anything. <laughs> so it took me, it took me a little bit. Fortunately, you know, we, we, we just cooked African food in the household. But like when I was at school and things like that, I, I couldn't taste anything. The seasonings were different. Unlike you, I came here during winter. Uh, it was, I remember we landed in O'Hare uh, in Chicago and it was 26 below zero. Ooh. Now, I had never seen snow in my life except for <laughs> like, you know, in books and stuff. And of course we came wearing like little, you know, like uh, skirts and blouses with high heels. <laughs> No jacket. I had never owned a jacket in my life, but my dad was prepared. He uh he took one look and was like, "I'll be right back," and <laughs> came back with the uh, jackets and stuff. But it was it was quite an uh, adventure to say the least. I, th- I think I'm you know there's a definite theme here, you guys. It's it's an abrupt change, you know, moving to anywhere, but actually moving somewhere where the culture is quite a bit different. And don't you think we owe it to others who have have yet to come to be allies and advocates for them to make their path a little smoother most definitely most mm-hmm. definitely i live in a community that has the biggest population of um of syrians so you'll find the biggest population of syrian immigrants in the united states here in the lehigh valley the lehigh valley is made up of three cities uh eastern is where i live and then there's allentown and bethlehem I actually, a few years ago, you know, I, I was attending some of those meetings, uh, you know, trying to be, be more involved in, in helping with the assimilation program. I need to get back to doing that. But we definitely need to be allies. We need to help those who are 
just arriving here and help them find their way. Engraved on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty are the stirring words of American Jewish poet Emma Lazarus. I think you all have heard them. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. For almost every American, these words either welcomed us or welcomed our ancestors as we journeyed from, you know, the distant lands to the shores of America. Forever, the United States has stood as a beacon of prosperity and opportunity. We simply can't let that vision get clouded by self-serving politicians and powerful media outlets who have their own agendas. We are a nation of immigrants because we are a land of opportunity. To deny immigrants the opportunity to come here and work and live a better life, that's as anti-American as anything I can think of. It is harmful not only to those we are denying entry to, but also to our country, especially at a time when so many businesses are facing labor shortages. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Our thanks to Eric and Jeffrey for joining us and sharing their views on coming to America. Please visit our website at butmostlygray.com for more stuff to feed your brain. Please like and share our stuff on Facebook and Instagram as well. Thanks so much for listening. Please keep an open mind, a kind heart, and join us next time for Black, White, But Mostly Gray. Namaste, my friends. Namaste. 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 Namaste.